This is information not being reported by anyone else. You want the scoop? Here it is with Darren Doogie Wolfson. This week brings us the great Minnesota get-together and a partial one. I can promise that some Minnesotans listen to this podcast. We actually have listeners spanning the globe. I am forever grateful for those of you who choose to listen to this particular podcast when you have so many podcast options, more than ever right now. This is... Scoop Podcast episode 168. We'll get to Twins General Manager Thad Levine, mostly on Stephen Gonsalves' Major League debut from Monday night. We'll catch up with Stephen's parents. We'll start with Vikings notes after I thank the sponsors of this Scoop Podcast, Blue Chew, BlueChew.com, and Vivid Seats. I'll tell you a little bit about Blue Chew right now. Tell you about Vivid Seats after Vikings notes or sometime later in the podcast. Blue Chew. And BlueChew.com. Guys, let's talk about sex. Let's talk about good sex. Now you can increase your performance and get that extra confidence in bed. BlueChew.com. That's blue like the color blue. BlueChew.com brings you the first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis. So you know they work. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach. And since they are chewable, they work up to twice as fast as a pill. So you can be ready whenever an opportunity arises. Blue Chew is prescribed online and shipped straight to your door in a discreet package. So no in-person doctor's visit, no waiting in the pharmacy, and best of all, no more awkwardness. They are made in the USA, and since Blue Chew prepares and ships direct, they are cheaper than a pharmacy. Right now, we've got a special deal for our listeners. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first shipment free when you use the special promo code SCOOP. Just pay $5 shipping. Again, visit BlueChew.com and get your first shipment free when you use the special promo code SCOOP. Again, that's BlueChew.com. B-L-U-E, BlueChew.com. Use the promo code SCOOP. It is BlueChew. It is BlueChew.com. All right, let's start with Vikings notes. The most popular question I've gotten on social media the last 48 hours is this. Will the Vikings pursue free agent safety George Iloka? The Bengals surprisingly let him go on Sunday. Yes, it is true. The Vikings did have interest in him a couple years ago before he re-signed with the Bengals. The Vikings actually didn't get real far down the road then, but they certainly registered interest. As of Tuesday morning, the Vikings have not registered any interest in Iloka. Here's a big reason why. The Vikings love Andrew Sandejo. He might not be a fan favorite, I'm not quite sure every fan realizes that he's a pretty good player. Maybe not an all-pro, anything like that, but Andrew Sandejo is a good player. But internally, at TCO Performance Center, the Vikings have a very healthy opinion of Sandejo. Iloka isn't looking to come in here and be a backup. Also, the Vikings actually like J. Ron Curse. But Sandejo is the starter. So look for Iloka to end up elsewhere. Menelik Watson is another offensive lineman that is available now. The Broncos let him go. They gave him big money, what, just a year ago, former Oakland Raider. So far, the Vikings have not registered interest in Menelik. He is recovering from a chest injury. I am told by somebody close to Menelik that he should be good to go in the next couple weeks. So he will sign with somebody We'll wait and see if the Vikings register interest. But as of Tuesday morning, 
The Vikings had not registered any interest in Watson. The Vikings continue to talk internally about potential trade targets and or waiver claims. Michael Schofield of the L.A. Chargers is a name that has come up internally. And keep in mind, well, you might not even know this, I'll tell you this. The Vikings actually put a claim in on Schofield last September, but based on waiver priority, he went to the Chargers instead of the Vikings and a few other teams that put in waiver claims on the former Michigan Wolverine. But he is a backup now with the Chargers. The Chargers did re-sign him in March. So you have to wonder if the Chargers would be open to dealing him, but that's just one of many names. The Vikings personnel folks meet every day. They have their own list of names that could potentially be available, whether via a trade or guys that will hit the waiver wire on September 1st. They talk, I'm telling you, daily about so many different names, but Michael Schofield is one name. Pat Elfline remains close bottom line because injuries are so all over the place. A guy is making progress one day, has a setback the next. Bottom line, there's still an internal belief, a strong internal belief, that Pet Elfline will be on the field September 9th when the regular season starts against the 49ers. Mike Remmers is back. Mackenzie Alexander underwent an MRI on Sunday. That MRI eliminated any sort of serious injury, but ankle sprains can still be tricky, so no definitive timetable on when Alexander will be back, but I am told it is not a long-term injury. Look for Dalvin Cook to play on Friday night against Seattle. All right, let's bring in Twins General Manager Thad Levine, mostly on Stephen Gonsalves' Major League debut on Monday against the White Sox. Thad, always appreciate your time. You're so gracious with your time. At some point, you'll have to demand some sort of monetary payment from me, but I want to have you on mostly to review Stephen Gonsalves' Major League debut from Monday night. From your standpoint, what stands out? What would you say about Steven's Major League debut? So, you know, I think as we went uh, through the trading deadline and made some decisions there to to, to be more sellers than buyers, we, we committed at that point to development for the rest of the year. And I think Stephen Gonzalez is a perfect example. Uh, we, we ideally want to win every single night. And that certainly is a goal and a focus for us. But we, we want to use the rest of the remainder of these games to evaluate some of our prospects and determine what they represent for us in 2019 and beyond. And, you know, at the best-case scenario, they could represent starting players for us. Uh, but then there's also opportunities to contribute in other roles or to contribute as the next line of defense or the line of defense after that. And so, in my opinion, what we saw out of Stephen last night uh, was not so atypical for a major league de- debut for a pitcher. Uh, when you factor in that Mother Nature was uh, rearing her ugly head last night and, and impacted the game at least a little bit, I would say, mm-hmm. I, I, I look at it and say, let, let's give him a body of work to evaluate before we just make any judgments based upon any one outing in a big league level. I think what we know about Stephen is that his best, he's been a, a real-time competitor throughout his minor league uh, process by and large a two pitch pitcher and a fastball and a plus changeup. He does throw a breaking ball, but it's it's his third offering, and so he's, he needs to have plus command of those two pitches. And if he does, he's going to have success. And last night we didn't necessarily see that, um, but between Mother Nature and nerves, I'm going to give him the chance to have a couple more starts before I, I determine whether or not I think he can be a, a real asset for us in 2019 and beyond. On his control issues on Monday night, how much of it was him? How much of it was the home plate umpire not doing him any favors? 
Well, you know, I think as, as we see in the big leagues, there you, you have to, and I guess this is applicable to life, in, is that you know the, the players who have the most success, I think, are able to identify what they can control, and then they dominate what they can control, and then the things that they can't control, they spend as little time, effort, and energy on. And so, you know, that, that certainly is going to factor into not only last night's game, but every game he pitches. And the question is, can you rise above any sort of adversity? Uh, last night he got the better, better of him, but I'm confident that he's a better pitcher for having gone through that. And uh, he faced some adversity. Let's see how he comes up the next time, the time after that. Uh, he's got a big challenge next time out where he's going to face one of uh, the American League and the Mer- Major League's hottest teams in the Oakland Athletics. Is it safe to say, Thad, that his money pitch is the changeup? And was it surprising to you that he kept that changeup so high? I mean, it was it was above the belt most of the night, or most of his one and whatever one third, two thirds innings. Well, I think when you look at a pitcher who doesn't necessarily have four pitches, you expect that one or two of his pitches are a plus offering, and the changeup, as you just referenced, is exactly that. Um, this is a pitch that he has gotten a lot of swings and misses on in the minor leagues. It plays very well off his fastball. Quite frankly, at times he has pitched it up in the zone. He has been able to, both from a location of the fastball and the changeup, pitch them both up in the zone, which I think it makes it that much more difficult for the opposing team to judge one against the other. But that's not a pitch that you're going to get away with indefinitely in the major leagues. You're going to need to be able to locate that pitch. And typically a little bit more down and away than up and away. He got away with it last night, but I'm sure that's something he's going to want to work on. Has he had control issues going back through his minor league career? You know, he, he has been a command guy uh, this year. Uh, he has had some uh, battles with, with the strike zone at times. But some of that also, I think, is, is, as pitchers mature, I think he has a keen knack of understanding which hitters in the opposition's lineup can hurt him the most. And I think he's, he's learned how to be a little bit more delicate with those guys. I think we see that out of guys like Jake Odorizzi this year, too. These are guys who are smart. They understand what their arsenal is, and they understand who is most conducive for them getting out. And I think they don't let the best players on the other team beat them. Sometimes that leads to walks. It's not the end of the world if you can work yourself out of jams. How long is his leash? I mean, you briefly touched on it. I mean, he'll see the A's this weekend. I mean, is his leash, though? I mean, will he start? You know, if we're talking a month from now, if we're talking on September 21st, is he still in your starting rotation? I think we're going start to start right now, but he's definitely getting more starts. You know, there are other starting pitching candidates that we're going to want to look at it, it similar to the way we're looking at Cole Stewart and Stephen Gonzalez right now. You know, you've got guys like Zach Littell, Fernando Romero, Michael Pineda will be back in the discussion here for us shortly. Mm-hmm. You know, so we've had a lot of creative discussions with, with Garvin Alston and with Paul Molitor around the concept of uh, do we rotate some of these guys through? Do we go to a six-man? Do we piggyback some of these guys? But I think one thing we're going to stay committed to is we're going to try to give as many starts to these guys in between now and the end of the season. Now, will they all fall to Steven Gonzalez or kind of blend it over some of these other guys? Time will tell, but I think that that will be our focus for the rest of the year of how we utilize the extra starts that we've generated here. Are any guys on innings limits, whether it's Gonzalez, Barrios, anybody else? I, I think the guy that we're most attentive to right now is Fernando Romero, uh, just because mm-hmm. he, he is getting into a range that he has not achieved before. So I think he, more than most of these guys, is, is, is a bona fide candidate for a little bit of a more of a limited role, whether that comes in the bullpen or that comes as a piggyback starter. I think we're going to be attentive to his innings, but you, you bring up a great point. Uh, you know, Jose Burrios is pushing back past a innings pitch limit that we, we haven't seen him reach. Uh, he, he has had a few faltering starts over the last 
askew, and so I think we're going to be attentive to those things. We want to make sure we don't put these guys in harm's way. I think Paul was masterful in using Gonsalves to start to give Jose an additional day off in between his last start and this one, and we're hoping those types of things will pay dividends down the stretch. Speaking of control issues, was that the hurdle for Cole Stewart in his second timeout when he pitched over the weekend? It was, and you know, I think we got to keep in mind with Cole Stewart, he's made two starts in the major leagues. The first one probably better than the second, but they're both against the same lineup. And as as you know, as good as you are as a pitcher, that that's that's a lot to overcome uh, to to go through a lineup. You know, we, we've all become so adept at understanding that going for a lineup a third time is challenging. Well, how about trying to do it twice and in, inside of one week? I think the advantage made then turned towards the hitters in that instance. So it'll be good for him to get out there, face the Chicago White Sox, face a different lineup. But I think the pitch that he's really developed this year and the one that has separated from him and made him a, a very functional starter has been that sinker that he's thrown. And for whatever reason, his last start against Detroit, he felt less comfortable with the sinker. He was relying a little bit more on the four-seam fastball. That's not necessarily his bread and butter. That's not where he's gotten the most success throughout his minor league career. I would expect him to go back to the sinker in the next outing. He's a guy who's going to throw that by and large and have the other opposition just beat the ball into the ground. We saw that in his first outing against Detroit, it, not in the second outing, and I think he fared better when he had more consistent command of that pitch as well as confidence in it. On the offensive side, where's where's this home run surge coming from? I mean, is it as simple as facing the Tigers and the White Sox? But going back to the last handful of games, I mean, you guys keep hitting the ball over the fence. Well, we have, and, you know, we, we talk about it every run is created equal. We would love a few more of those home runs to come with more guys on base, but it's been great to see. You know, I think it's it's uh, clear, clearly one of the easier ways to score a run in the game. Uh, you know, none, none bigger to me than, than Joe Maurer's uh, home runs and his, his brief power surge here. Mm-hmm. What a great response from the fans. It was great to see the curtain call that he, he earned, and he's earned from not just that home run, but from everything he's done in his career. And I think what the fans saw in that moment, and hopefully that will inspire them to act more in that vein in the future, is just how much our players responded to uh, their reception to, to Joe and how big a moment that was in that game, how big a moment that was in that in that series, and I think that was really a huge turning point for us. So not all home runs are created equally. That that one was a special one, and I think that really was well-received by our fans, and our, and our players definitely loved it. I agree. That was that was fun. On Joe, I mean, if he wants to play next year, would you guys like him back? So, you know, I think what we've said all along and stays consistent on this is uh, we're looking forward to the conversation. We've been very respectful of, of Joe and his wife Maddie and, and their privacy through this. Uh, a lot of players say they want the focus to stay in the team, and then I think behind the scenes they're desirous of a selfish outcome. Joe Maurer, I think our fans will not be surprised to hear, he's wanted to keep the focus on the team and, and has really rebuffed any conversations about him personally. And I think we will be w- welcoming that conversation come season's end, but staying true to Joe's desires and Maddie's desires, I think we'll, that's exactly when we'll be having that conversation, uh, and we look forward to it. That's fair. Is is Joe an underrated leader? What I mean by that, that is, you know, a lot of us think, you know, he's so quiet, he doesn't say anything, but the more I hear, the more I sense that Joe doesn't get the credit he deserves for being a leader in that clubhouse. So my, my view of leadership in a clubhouse is that all too often we assume the best players are going to be the best leaders, and in practice, I think those two skills are rarely married up. Uh, typically the best best player is not actually the best leader on the team. I think in Joe's case, 
he is an underrated leader. He, he's by, by nature, I think, a little bit more reserved, uh, but he leads by example, but he does more than that. You know, at the end of every game that we win, uh, Joe Maurer has implemented a, a game ball where he, he gives out the game balls to the players of the game. And I think what he, one thing that he's done masterfully, and he's done it ever since I've been here, is he makes the 25th player on the roster feel like the 12th most valuable. And so everybody feels closer to the heartbeat of the team. And I think he's done that tremendously. And the way he does that is in that game ball process, he, he recognizes the guy who pitched the fifth and sixth inning and got us to the back end of the game. He recognizes the guy that moved the runner from second to third and helped us win that score, that run in the middle of the game that, that tied it up. Of course, he also acknowledges the guy who maybe hit the three-run homer to win the game, but it's not singularly focused on that. And I would say that that's unequivocally leadership, and that's something he reinforces every time we win a game, whether it's at home or on the road. Uh, and I think Joe is, is quite a strong leader on this team. Let you go after three quickies. Oliver Drake. I like him. I mean, he's there's some funkiness there. I mean, I'm, I'm wondering how the heck he's on team number five this year. I mean, I think there's actually something there. Well, you know, Oliver, Oliver Drake is, is one of our first forays into the guy who passed a lot of scouting interest as well as analytics interest. I think part of the reason he's been on five teams is because his surface statistics didn't really match his performance, which is to say there's a lot of underlying metrics that suggested he was a little bit unlucky early in the year. But early in the year, he was carrying a very high ERA uh, and some other stats that jumped off the page negatively. And so I think teams who had shorter leashes on him, unfortunately moved on. This is a guy that we'd had our eye on quite a bit. Um, I, will, I will say this. It wasn't the first time that we contemplated uh, putting a waiver claim in on him that we got him, but we did get him in this last endeavor, and I, I give our analytics guys and our scouts a lot of credit. It's, it's a very unique profile. He pitches straight over the top, which is not a release point most hitters are used to seeing, and he's got a really advanced split-finger fastball, which is, once again, not a pitch that a lot of hitters see. So, I think we're intrigued to see how it looks when he sees hitters a second and third time, uh, which we will be seeing, which he will have to do come September. But uh, we may have just found something that could that could really factor in nicely for us in 2019. We saw some more August trades today: Daniel Murphy to the Cubs, Matt Adams to the Cardinals. Do you anticipate still being active here in the month of August? Anything close on your guys' front? Well, you, you know, it, it, it always takes another team to value your, your players at the championship level. And we certainly have had a number of teams who have inquired about our players that, that then ended up netting six distinct trades. And, and that's significant. In my estimation, we, we do have some players on this team who similarly may be in positions that, that was our criteria for making deals, guys who may be in expiring deals who, who we think could, could help championship caliber clubs. Uh, win, but you know it's going to be up to them to determine that. And we've had some dialogue. I expect we'll have more as we get closer to August 31st, because as our fans may know, any player who's in an organization as of midnight of August 31st is eligible to play in the in the playoffs. So that's kind of a secondary trade deadline. We, we expect that we're going to be receiving some calls in between now and then. Lastly, how much how much internal planning is going on already for for this winter's free agent class? Like, are you? You know, breaking down video of free agents. Are others breaking down video? Do you have scouts out watching free agents? How does that work? Well, I think as you're playing games in August, turn September, you're hopeful that you are preparing for the playoffs. But if you're not in a position to prepare for the playoffs, in my humble opinion, you got to be preparing for the off season. And that month of time where other teams are playing the playoffs, 
ideally you're getting a leg up on them and beating them in terms of off-season planning. And so we've already started that exercise. Brad Sile, who heads up our pro scouting department, has already set up a meeting to bring our pro scouts in here next week so that we can start evaluating the free agent class, potential trade targets, really management of our 40-man roster. So all those things are underway right now. So we plan that we're not going to just be sitting back and watching the playoffs in the event that we're not in it. We're going to be game planning for 2019 and trying to strategize how best we can position this team to be as competitive as possible in 2019 and beyond. Great stuff as always. Hopefully we'll see you. Are you going to get to the State Fair this year? I would love to. I'd love to. I think the kids had a blast last time they were there. Uh, it's rare that you get it to an half-pound turkey leg, so I, I'm hoping to get out there and sink my teeth into one. All right. Well, if you're out there, hopefully we'll connect. Thank you as always, Thad. Thanks, Darren. Twins General Manager Thad Levine. I was at the ballpark on Monday pregame. I caught up with Joaquin Gonsalves and Suzanne Gonsalves, Stephen Gonsalves's mom and dad. Let me play back those conversations. We'll start with mom. That will transition into Dad. It is good to know that Steven will get another start. He'll start this weekend at Target Field against the A's. But it is start to start because, as Thad said, Zach Littell, Michael Pineda, they do want to get a look at some other guys, Fernando Romero. So those are three guys that will make starts before the year is over. As he said, Romero is on an innings limit, so you figure Romero will get a start here in the very near future. But we know, bottom line, that Gonsalves will get a start this weekend and it will go from there. So anyway, here's my conversation with Suzanne Gonsalves and Joaquin Gonsalves. We'll start with Mom Suzanne. Mrs. Gonsalves, take us to the moment where your phone rang or your text message dinged when you found out that Stephen was getting the call up. He, it was just the other night. It was late. After watching the Twins game, we were watching Cole pitch, um, and he called, and he did a FaceTime. My husband wasn't home, um, so when I picked up the phone, he said, what's going on? I said, just hanging out, doing a little work, and he said... You you know, well, maybe you better get online and start shopping for some airline tickets. And I said, funny thing, honey, look. And I showed put the, his face up to the computer, and I said, I already am. So I just heard he called his grandmother and called his dad. And so I had heard the news, so thrilled. And you even had the feeling, even going back a number of days, weeks, that, that the time was coming. Absolutely. We knew. That's what we said. It wasn't going to be if. It was just when. How will he handle the stage tonight? I mean, is he a cool customer? He's a very mellow kid. Yeah, always been. Really easygoing, um, can relax himself quickly and easily. So, yeah, I think uh, he's up for it. Very, very excited. Definitely nerves are getting to all of us. Um, but I think he's, you know, once he gets through his first inning, I think he'll be good. When did you realize that, that okay, my son is, is special, that he has a chance to, to go far in this game? I realized he was special probably when he was born, that kid. You know, he's about looks like a three-month-old after he, after I had him. He was so large, 9'9". Nine, nine. But, um, but he was an athlete from the get-go, you know, so loved to play. Um, but I remember when he was eight and he was recruited by some, uh, you know, some dads for an older team. I could see quickly how quickly he adjusted and he played up for many years. So it was early on that we knew it. You know, he played all the sports. So there was plenty of things um, that we saw he was good at, but baseball was definitely his love fits his personality for sure is he a great kid i mean heck is he is he a better pitcher or a better person 
definitely a better person. I mean, he's um, he's a great guy, a great relationship guy, really good friendships. Um, you know, he's getting married next year to a wonderful girl that he met on the road here. Um, but family, definitely first for him. So it's it's a treasure to have him. I have just the two, uh, one of each, and honestly, they're both fantastic. But he is, you know, just a good kid. Happy to have his family here. He's got a lot of family. His grandparents and grandmothers here with him tonight. His lots of cousins and aunts and um, really good friends. His sister is fiance. So we're having some fun. But he's a really he's a good kid. Great great character. Has always gotten those character awards. I, mean, I was talking to your husband. I mean, my understanding is your daughter was a college soccer player, recently graduated college. Now you've got your son making his major league debut. I mean, as a parent, you just you have to be on cloud nine. Pretty good. Really, 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 really nice. See, they're both doing so well. They're both, you know, in their early 20s, obviously. But, yeah, really doing well. Really embracing life and going with it. But, yeah, absolutely very proud. If we get to know Stephen, what, what would surprise us about Stephen? Uh, what would just surprise you? I mean, probably that he is such a fierce competitor. He, he's so chill all the time. He's got such an easygoing, nice personality. But he's got just that fire in his belly. Loves to compete. Loves to win. Um, you know, athletic family man. You know, California kid at heart. Will always go back to California, I think. So not a surprise. You know, he's an ocean kid for sure. Fishing all the time. That's his love. You know, besides playing the video games with his buddy. So I think you know that. That's all over. What kind of mom are you in the stands? I mean, tonight as you're up 20 rows up here from from home plight, I mean, when he gets that first strikeout, are you going to jump up and cheer or do you keep everything inside? I hold it more inside, yeah. No, I'm definitely more like him personality-wise, just pretty calm. So have always been the one sitting behind um, watching him and, you know, definitely cheering him on but not screaming and not, not being too dramatic at all. So I've definitely had the nerves the past couple of days for sure, more than ever. No doubt about that, but um, no, I'll just be thrilled. It'll be a huge relief when it happens. Dad may be pacing a little bit, but I'll be sitting. He's close to Mitch Garver. How cool is it that he gets to throw to Mitch tonight? My whole family, when we saw the lineup posted today, we were all all celebrating that it was Mitch because, yeah, they've been good buddies since the beginning. Mitch was one of the first kids that I met on his team, you know, and kids, he's a man. But he was so warm and welcoming to Steven, really took him under his wing when they were in uh, initial spring training together. We came out and just a wonderful, wonderful man. So really great brother, great friend to him. So I'm thrilled that he's back there because I think he's going to keep him calm. How about just Cole Stewart? I mean, Cole goes a few picks before Steven. They signed, if I'm not mistaken, they signed on the same day here at Target Field. And then they make their major league debuts just days apart. That's been awesome. Again, that obviously says they're continuing to stay on that same path. And I think keep pushing each other. So I think that's been definitely something Steven's aspired to, is to get there, you know, before or with him. And so here they are, you know, that close. So that's pretty awesome. Joaquin, take us through this journey. I mean, what's it been like from your standpoint? I mean, can you picture back years ago taking Steven to practice early in the morning, late at night, just the journey to get to this very point? Yeah, it's funny because in the very beginning when he was, you know, single digits, uh, seven, eight, I, you know, I swore I'm never going to pay for travel ball or, you know, let's play Little League, let's play whatever, and let's go. And, you know, I didn't even realize I mean, I knew he was going to be tall, but never noticed really lefty tall, never clicked with me. And then he started playing and showed some ability and, you know, was asked to uh, do travel ball. And I'm like, oh, all right. Well, you know, finally, I broke down and I gave him a lesson. In fact, we got a text from that. He's a junior college coach at Palomar College. And he texted me, hey, good, you know. Um, but, yeah, first lesson. Then he kept doing well. And he, he, he was always had to play. He had one of those birthdays where he was in between. And so he always played up, and he held his own and uh, kept moving along and kept progressing. And then it's like, I still, I think it was till maybe in his 
12, 13, 14, that age when I'm like, okay, he's really got talent. So, yeah, then then I knew, and then we were starting to get some interest when he started doing the travel circuit, and then it's like, it's crazy. But, yeah, it took a while. It wasn't right off the bat. And speaking of taking a while, I mean, he goes in the fourth round in the 2013 draft. I mean, does that seem like it was just yesterday, or does that seem like it's been forever ago to get to this point to be making his Major League debut? Um, it's it's The first three, four years was quick. You know, it's just like, you know, going, getting a routine. He was doing well at each level, coming home, working hard, working out during the offseason, then going and just progressing. And then this year kind of felt like, okay, I could, you know, I was watching the MILB on MILB. I watch all the games. It's like, Okay, let's move on. It's I, I wasn't as nervous, you know. It, it was fun to watch, but it's like okay, let let's get to the next level. So, in the beginning, very long, but it quickened up this last year. Couldn't what's, wait. It, what's it been like? I mean, am I right that that your daughter was a college soccer player, yes. recently graduated? Yep. Now you've got Steven making his major league debut. I mean, all these life accomplishments all happening in a small time frame. I mean, it has to make a parent just, you know, on cloud nine. It's very exciting. It's making me kind of feel old. (laughs) But it's funny, yes, uh, my daughter Renee uh, had a great soccer career. Now she's moved on. She's her own person. She's got a job, just graduated, got a job on her own, living in Santa Barbara. It's great. Um, And I'm glad she got to come out and, and participate in this. It's awesome. And then you think about, I mean, just everything. I mean, the weight. I mean, Stephen could have been called up two, three months ago based on merit, based on the numbers he was putting up. So what's it been like the last couple months? I mean, I saw his last 11 starts, an ERA of like one two seven. I mean, this has been a long time coming, just even going back the last couple months, waiting for this moment to occur. Yeah, I think he's, yes, it's, you know, we know it, we've seen it. I have all the faith in him. His, uh, his mom and I have great faith in him. Um, yeah, it's we couldn't wait till it happened. I mean, he. Keeps, I think he's a little under, underrated because he doesn't throw 96, 97, whatever. But he's got a pitcher's mentality. I like the way he pitches. You know, low 90s, but he can. He's worked hard on his off-speed stuff, and I think, I think that'll show. I think that'll show. Um, he's a pitcher. He's not a thrower. And you know, maybe it takes longer for them to notice. People notice that now, but I, he's proven it at every level, and hopefully it continues today. Is my little birdie correct that you thought he was actually a better hitter slash outfielder in high school? Yeah. he was. If I had, I guess if I was a better father and had better video capabilities and, and videoed every game, he was an outstanding center fielder, and he could he could rake. He can hit. He can, He was, and I think when he went to, he played in USA Baseball, was on the 18U team, and I think he kind of got pigeonholed as a as a pitcher, they you know they saw a tall lefty, and um, yeah, actually one game I was at a practice in North Carolina when he was trying out for the team, and and he was out shagging, and someone hit one, and he ran from center to right and le- and stole a home run off the wall, and the co- everyone started clapping, and the coaches finally went, oh, and then he got to make a start in the outfield. So yeah, he you know there was one or two teams that um, during the uh, draft process that thought of him as pitcher slash player um, position player but yeah it was it's it was a tough transition uh for my wife and i to see him as uh to wait every five days to watch him play instead of every day but yeah he was yeah really good i can't wait till he plays hopefully he sticks up here and get to play national league team yeah i mean that would be cool if we can see him yeah swing the bat I think, I think it'll come back. yeah now is he a cool customer i mean will this stage not be too big for him um i every 
at every level I've seen him, you know, like he's he's been put in a few positions where he's like USA in the in the the games in Seoul um, where he played um, for the medal games and pitched two games. So and and at the perfect game in in uh, San Diego he did. So he's been in a couple big stages. Um, this is a little bigger, obviously, but I think I think so. I, hopefully, after the first couple outs, uh, he'll calm right down. Joaquin, are you are you one that's emotional? I mean, can you picture two hours from now being up in the stands? You know, whenever inevitably he gets that first strikeout or first big moment tonight, can you picture what the emotions uh, are going to be going through you? I mean, yeah, multiple, multiple. Um, yeah, I don't know. I've been trying to be cool and calm this whole day and this whole last two days, but. Um, the closer it gets, the more I feel it. I mean, I'm not super emotional. I mean, I am a little bit, but I don't show it a whole lot. Um, it's going to be a little more emotional because um, my dad passed away uh, three years ago, and it was his number one fan. My dad took him to everything, and um, uh, he was, in fact, on his glove. His first, his, I think it was in Double A or something. He had his name on there and, and dedicated that season to him and ended up winning – uh, Twins minor league pitcher of the year, and we got to come here to this beautiful stadium uh, for the Diamonds Awards. It was great, and um, I think he he uh, in his speech said that about dedicated to his grandfather. So yeah, a little bit of that. I mean, my dad used to sit there, and when he come home from uh, his season, hey, so when are you gonna get there? When are you gonna get there? And he was 86 at the time, and he's like, oh, you know, two years. I don't think so. Yeah, I, um, Steven's been carrying that with him, um, and he's been working really hard. Um, so I think my dad would be happy. So a little emotional that way, but he's in a better place, and I know he'll be watching and be hopefully he'll be out on the mound with him. He's got the best seat in the house. Absolutely, absolutely. Let's learn about Zach Anikstead, the Gophers football starting quarterback true freshman walk-on, walk-on on paper. He had multiple Power 5 offers. Dr. Grant Norland from Inspired Athletics and the Quarterback Institute in Plymouth has worked with Zach for a number of years. You can tell us the specific background. Grant has also worked with Max Williams of the Baltimore Ravens, a number of former Gophers. He is well known in the metropolitan area for helping develop football players, but he specifically has lots of intel, good intel, on Zach Anikstead. So let's talk to Grant. We won't be able to talk to Zach until after he plays in a game. That is school policy. Many teams have that policy where true freshman, until you actually play in a game, you are off limits to the media. So until Anikstead plays on Thursday, August 30th against New Mexico State post game, we won't be able to talk to Zach. I know his mom and dad have told some individuals I tried to land an interview with mom and dad. I was told that they don't want to do anything right now either. So we're trying to find some people that know Zach. So Grant definitely qualifies as one of those individuals. So we'll get to Grant in just a second, Dr. Norland. But let me tell you about Vivid Seats, Vikings Seahawks, Friday night U.S. Bank Stadium. Vivid Seats is your spot to track down Vikings tickets. Or September 9th against the 49ers, week three against Buffalo, Denny Green, the late Denny Green, going into the Ring of Honor. Use Vivid Seats. Vivid Seats is an online event ticket marketplace dedicated to providing fans of live entertainment with experiences that last a lifetime. So, yes, think about that. The Vikings should have a special season. It should be a double-digit win season. Maybe not 13 like last year, but they certainly appear to have a playoff roster, a Super Bowl-ready roster. So we'll see if 
that can meet those expectations. But if you haven't been to U.S. Bank Stadium, you'll want to go because the potential is there that this could be a very special year. And if you've been to U.S. Bank Stadium, you know how much fun a Vikings game can be. Scoop listeners should go to VividSeats.com or download the app and enter promo code SCOOP for 10% off your first ticket order. New customers only. That offer is valid through the end of August. So VividSeats.com or download the Vivid Seats app. You get 10% off your first order if you're a first-time buyer. So Vikings Seahawks tickets, Vikings 49ers, Vikings Bills, Vikings Saints, any number of Vikings games throughout the season. Take advantage of this opportunity before August is done. VividSeats.com for your Viking seats. All right, let's get to Dr. Grant Norland. Grant, I touched on it in the intro, bringing you into the conversation, your relationship with Zach Anikstead. Why don't you lay out for the listeners just how far back you and Zach go? Well, Zach started coming up uh, to see us back when we were in our office in Eden Prairie. Um, that was back when he was in eighth grade, so that would have been almost six years ago oh, now. Wow. Yeah. Um, yeah, he started off with us about when we were one year into our into our place there, and you know, it was just a couple of months ago he was in, and we were watching some of the videos from back when he was in eighth grade, just comparing, just having some good laughs about that, because he's really come a long way since then, obviously. Well, I mean, expound on that. I mean, how far has he come from going back, you know, six years or so? Well, I mean, he's obviously he's matured a lot, both physically and mentally. Um, you know, he's really become a student of the game, and and uh, he's tightened a lot of things up mechanically. He's got a, throws a great ball, obviously, and those are some of the things that he's that he's really worked on over the last five and six years. And but he's really just been a student of the game, and and um, you know, just really been dedicated to developing his craft, which has been very very cool to watch. I mean, I suppose it helps that dad's a former Gopher, right? Had a cup of coffee in the NFL. So I mean, when you've got a dad that's that's got that sort of background, it probably helped push Zach along. Oh, absolutely, yeah. And his his dad's a great guy. I mean, he's come to a lot of his sessions before, and and uh, you know, and 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 he's obviously having that experience is is helpful for a guy coming up. You know, he can speak from experience and and uh, kind of give him the ins and outs of what it's like to play at that level and. And that, that can be invaluable to a guy, especially in Zach's position, He's coming in as a true freshman and, you know, not necessarily knowing what to expect. Um, that That's certainly invaluable. Was it soon after, Grant, after you connected with him? I mean, eighth grade, ninth grade, maybe when he started to get snaps at the varsity level for, for Mankato West, that you realized, okay, he has a chance to be pretty special? Well, yeah, I mean, from the get-go, he was always a bigger kid. You know, he had a pretty big frame. He threw a great ball. And... You know, when you put those tools together, if you can get things right upstairs, um, you know, anything can happen. So uh, you really saw those raw tools from the get-go, and he just continued to develop and develop and really saw the mental side kick in with it and, and uh, you know, really, really developed to a high level, obviously. And then going down to IMG, he flourished there. And I know he had some quarterback battles down there and, and came out and got, got quite a bit of playing time. And obviously there's a lot of stiff competition down there. And, he did really well, and now it's great to see him up with the Gophers. I mean, from your sense, I mean, how much does he embrace that competition? I mean, you're right. I mean, what, junior year at IMG, it was, what, a Texas A&M kid was the starter, but then senior year, it was a Miami commit. I think the kid eventually, did he end up at Rutgers? It doesn't matter. But but he beat out a kid. I mean, he wasn't the guy. Yep. I mean, he's always, he's always sort of been at the bottom, 
but he's climbed his way up. Then he comes to campus in January. I mean, a lot of us thought Vic Viramontis, Tanner Morgan. I mean, Zach Anikstead wasn't on our radar. And then, you know, once spring ball started, he's out there. He's performing at a high level. Then we're like, okay. Then the spring game happens. Then we're like, okay, he definitely has a shot. But then even so, I thought, you know what? Tanner Morgan's been here for a year. You know, Tanner might have the leg up. But but all Zach does is win these competitions. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think the best kind of quarterback, really, to be honest with you, is a guy who's a quiet, fierce competitor. And I think that's Zach. Um, he's not the guy that's going to be a super big rah-rah, boisterous type of guy, but he is, he's quiet, kind of, kind of keeps it to himself, but he, underneath that, he is a very fierce competitor. And I think, I think that's kind of a recipe for a really good quarterback. You see a lot of guys that succeed at a high level, they kind of have that, that quiet competitiveness to them. And, you know, he's got, he's got a very high level of confidence, which is, which is good. You can walk a fine line between being confident and arrogant, and mm-hmm. he doesn't cross that line. But he's very confident in what he does, and I think he he's got a good recipe to do do a lot of good things as a QB at this level. That fierce competitiveness does that help with his leadership qualities? I mean, you think about it, true freshman. You think about like running back Rodney Smith. You know, he's been here five years. You know, you think about others yep. on the offense. You know, Jared Weiler, center, senior, right? Danell Green, tackle. Senior. I mean, these guys are four or five years older than Zach, yet he needs yep. to be a leader of that offense. But that fierce competitiveness, will that help him bridge that gap with the age you know, difference when it comes to, to some of those other guys on offense and him needing to lead that offense? No doubt. Absolutely. You know, he doesn't have to be a guy that's going to come in there and be the, be the rah-rah guy and, and be the, the big-time leader of all these guys, but when they see that competitiveness in him, they're going to latch on to that, and they'll, they'll respond to that. I, I've seen that happen before in a lot of different places where a young guy comes in and, and does really well, and they don't, they don't necessarily have to be that vocal leader necessarily, but they're going to come in, they do their job. The guys will pick up on that uh, quickly, I think, and, and respond to it. Give us a little bit more of a scouting report on Zach. I mean, dual threat, I mean, he can do it with the arm and with the legs? Yeah, I you know I would say he's probably a little bit more of a pocket passer. He is a good athlete, and you know he can certainly make plays with his feet when he needs to. I think he's going to make more plays with his head and his arm. Yeah. Okay. So I mean, you think about Tyler Johnson. I mean, they have some they have some wide receivers. I mean, Tyler's the one that's that's produced in games. But you know, whether it's Omar Douglas's kid, Demetrius, who got hurt last year, but there's there's a ton of talent there. This Chris Ottman Bell kid, the Rashad Bateman kid, yep. who got an offer late from Georgia. You know, who should play as a true freshman? I mean, it seems like Zach should have a number of options. I know they like the young tight end, Paulson. I mean, he should have a number of options to be able to throw the ball. I mean, and heck, I mean, you think about it, Grant. I mean, you follow the Gophers close enough. I mean, they just didn't have any success whatsoever throwing the ball last year, unfortunately. So it can only get better in my mind when it comes to their air attack. Oh, yeah, they certainly have weapons out there. And what I can't wait to see is when he completes his first pass to his brother. That's got to be coming, yeah, right? Yeah, You know, it's so cool to see him get a scholarship in the same week that, uh, you know, Zach got named the starter. And, and it'd be really cool to see those two connect on a pass sometime. And I can't wait to see that happen. And I know they've got a lot of other weapons, too. And it's going to be an exciting season for them to see what happens. You know, obviously, he's, you know, being a true freshman coming in, he'll take a lump or two here or there. But... You know, if he if he sticks with it, and I know he will, I think he's going to be very successful. Can you speak to the level of competition he saw at IMG Academy? I mean, for lack of a 
of a better comparison? I mean, is IMG Academy for football in many ways like Shattuck St. Mary's? For, for hockey or, you know, Oak Hill Academy for basketball, even though I know IMG yeah, has, I would, has basketball. I but yeah. yeah, I would say that's an accurate comparison. I mean, these guys are traveling all over the country playing games against the top competition at the high school level all over the country. So um, it's definitely a very, very high level. They're playing against a bunch of their peers are going to be, you know, Division One players, and most of their teammates go to Division One schools. And so been around that level, um, and I think that's going to help him coming into this situation that he's going to be in now is that he's played with guys that are going to be playing at this level already for the last two years. And so getting accustomed to that, it's not, maybe not going to be quite as big of a jump, um, you know, going from high school to college as it is for, for say, a guy from a, you know, a 2A school that's not used to quite that speed of play. Um, you know, it'll be maybe just a little bit less of an adjustment for him on that front. One final point for Dr. Grant Norland from the Quarterback Institute and Inspired Athletics in the West Metro. He has worked with Zach Anikstead going back to when Zach was in the eighth grade. How hard was it for Zach to to be a gopher, to turn down Power 5 offers? I mean, we know eventually he'll be on scholarship here, but he had an opportunity to be on scholarship right away where? Illinois, Cincinnati, Pittsburgh, am I leaving out a school or two? I mean, he had yeah, opportunities right away. All of them, to be honest, I think there was four or five in there. Yeah, Rutgers, but, um, maybe. Yeah, he he had opportunities, but you know, like he's always said, this is his home state. You know, this is where he's from. His brother goes here. I think he really feels at home here. And I think deep down, this is where he always wanted to be. At least that's the impression I got. And um, so when he had the opportunity, he was going to take it and. Like like you said, you know, he's that quiet competitor that he's got a challenge in front of him. He's going to attack it. And, you know, here he saw an opportunity to maybe come in and, and make some noise and get to play, and, and he took advantage of it. And I'll leave you with this. I mean, Kirk Sharaka's offense, P.J. Fleck, I mean, they developed a really good quarterback at Western Michigan. They started a redshirt freshman there at Western Michigan, and the kids set all sorts of, of school records. From what you know, does Zach really like – Kirk Sharaka's offense, his fit in that offense? You know, to be honest with you, I haven't spoken with him too much about the X's and O's of their system uh, up to this point. But, um, you know, I'm sure he's going to do well in any system that he's in. And, and um, you know, I'm, I'm sure that's going to be a high-flying offense, no doubt, with the energy that Coach Fleck brings to the equation. And and um, I think it's going to be a fun, fun season to watch him uh, take that on. So you guys, when when you're working with him, and maybe more so going back the last handful of years, maybe not necessarily once he once he stepped foot on on campus, it was more just individual work, tweaking his delivery, things like that. Yeah, well, we did we did a lot of you know preseason strength and conditioning work with him, working on mechanics, um, you know, footwork, all kinds of different things, basically everything that goes into playing the position, and um, you know, just to get him ready for that level and. You know, we've worked with him, you know, quite a bit last year, and then and then a little bit here and there uh, through this last season. You know, obviously he was back and forth to Florida and that kind of thing, but on holidays and and uh, when he had downtime, he was in here working. And that's the thing about him is he he hardly took a, any time off. The kid just always wants to be working, which is a I think is a recipe for success. Yeah, I mean, if you have the work ethic, absolutely, that is a recipe for success. Dr. Grant Norland, Grant, thank you so much, and I'll certainly be in touch. You bet. Thanks, Dewey. Good talking with you. I touched on a couple guys there in the conversation with Grant Norland. Dr. Grant Norland, I have heard good things about Paulson, the tight end, certainly Altman Bell, Bateman 
And on defense, two guys, household names, at least locally and among Gophers fans. But I hear that Kamal Martin of Burnsville and Blake Cashman of Eden Prairie are having phenomenal training camps. In fact, I talked to Blake the other day about his season goals. He has lofty goals. He wants over 100 tackles. He thinks he can get to over 10 sacks and even sprinkle in at least a couple interceptions. Blake Cashman, former walk-on, now one of the Gophers' Best defensive players out of Eden Prairie High School. I'll wrap it up with a handful of notes, and we'll call it Scoop Podcast episode 168. On episode 169, I'll bring a conversation to you with Peter Udoibach, who's a Gophers football commit from Creighton Durham Hall High School. He's among their class of 2019. On the Wolves front, there was the report from Sportando. They... Quoted Alexi Schved's agent, he did some sort of podcast, some sort of media interview in Europe. Quoted the agent for Schved saying the Timberwolves were among teams to make Schved an offer. He ultimately signed with a team overseas. He is not coming back to the NBA. But the agent said he had multiple NBA offers, including from the Wolves. Well, poking around a little bit, my sense is the Wolves reached out on Schved. I'm not quite sure that information is accurate, though, that the Wolves made him a full-fledged offer. Now, they reached out on 35 to 40 to 50 free agents, you know, July 1st and onward, and ultimately end up signing who? Anthony Tolliver, James Nunnally, C.J. Williams to a two-way deal. They ultimately will add one more free agent. Some agents believe as soon as New York waves and stretches Joe Kim Noah, that Noah will end up with the Wolves. Some other agents are led to believe that the Wolves are still looking to add a shooter, but there's nothing new on the Wolves and Nick Young. Brandon Paul is a name that they chased last year. He ended up signing with the Spurs, but he is still available on the free agent market. Also, no Wolves interest in Sean Kilpatrick as of now. So we'll wait and see what the Wolves do. Uh, Don't be surprised, though, if they don't get to 15 contracts, but they're at 13 contracts right now, excluding the two two two-way deals with the rookie from Rhode Island and C.J. Williams. Look for them to get to 14 contracts. Also, Marcus George's hunt, Jimmy Butler's close friend, worked out last week with Denver, but it doesn't appear as if the Wolves right now have interest in retaining his services. Some other hoops notes in the next couple days. Zeke Naji of Hopkins begins... His tour of Indiana, Purdue, Illinois, he'll eventually get to UCLA and Arizona, all unofficial visits before the month of August is over. I went over the entire list. There's more than that on a recent Scoop podcast. Zeke Naji, who the Gophers want badly, Wisconsin wants badly, picked up that Kansas offer in the last week, week and a half. North Carolina is now reaching out. Kentucky is now reaching out. Miami is now reaching out, so we'll wait and see if any of those three schools offer. Regardless, Zeke Najee of Hopkins has over 20 offers, 20 major, major offers, Power Six conference offers. So he will have his pick of whatever school he wants to go to, one of the 40 to 50 best players in the country in the class of 2019, one of the best players in the class of 2020, Jalen Suggs of Minnehaha Academy, expected to spend some time at the Gophers' new facility either before this week is over or next week. I know that they've been in touch, the family, with 
Gophers assistant Rob Jeter. So I know they will connect in person with Rob Jeter in the very near future. David Roddy, 2019 Breck High School. Great quarterback, by the way. Has an opportunity to play college football if he wants. But his basketball offer list is growing seemingly by the week. The Gophers recently hopped in on David. He is looking to take an official visit to the Gophers sometime in mid-September. By the way, the Gophers men's basketball Big Ten schedule came out. Women's too. On Tuesday, some of the headlines, they open up on December 2nd at Ohio State. Their home opener for the Big Ten schedule is Wednesday, December 5th against Nebraska. Yes, they finally get Wisconsin twice again, finally, I say. But, heck, a one-year break from playing the Badgers twice is ridiculous. The Gophers and the Badgers should play twice every Big Ten season in basketball. It was ludicrous last year that they did not. So, anyway, they travel to Wisconsin on Thursday, January 3rd. And they actually have a bye weekend that weekend. They don't play the weekend of January 5th. Then the Badgers come to the barn. Brad Davison, Nate Reavers, and company come to the barn on Wednesday, February 6th. I have some other notes, but I can save those. Nothing that's overly important. We appreciate that. Levine, he was open and great with his time, as always. Fun conversations with Stephen Gonzalez's parents. And it's nice to get to know Zach Anikstead from somebody that has worked with him since Anikstead was in the eighth grade. He went to Mankato West High School as a freshman and sophomore, then went to IMG Academy his junior and senior years. He is now a true freshman for the Gophers, got to campus in January, participated in spring practice, and he will start the Gophers opener Thursday night, August 30th, against New Mexico State. Tickets are available. I'm told there's at least four figures of tickets still available. So if you're interested in attending, seeing Zach Anikstead's collegiate debut, tickets are there to be had. We thank Vivid Seats, vividseats.com for your Vikings tickets. We thank Blue Chew, bluechew.com. It's comparable to Viagra and Cialis. If you need some help in the bedroom, Blue Chew is there to help you out. Check out BlueChew.com, the color blue, B-L-U-E, BlueChew.com for more information. That does it for Scoop Podcast episode 168. We'll be back when time allows with episode 169. Have a great one. Hi, this is Daniel Rue of the Real GM Radio Podcast. And while the NBA season is still pretty new, there are some interesting storylines going on. And for me, one of them is, let's call it a shift in expectations, because there are a couple teams that we expected to be not necessarily pushing the accelerator in the early going in the season, maybe seeing Victor Wembanyama and Scoot Henderson, this purportedly strong 2023 draft class, and going, hey, we could be a part of that. And that would be the Utah Jazz and the San Antonio Spurs. Both teams are over 500 with some nice wins. And this isn't flu. They're playing well so far, and so we will see how they build on this, how they react to it. Do they keep pushing, see if see how it can keep going, or do they change directions through trades and everything else? So that'll be something to watch in this year where the draft class is, is strong and these teams have incentives going in both directions. Hi, this is Daniel LaRue from the Real GM Radio Podcast. BetOnline.net is your number one source for betting football and the start of the new basketball season. Find all the latest player developments, matchups, news, in-depth analysis, and live betting and up-to-the-minute scores for every sport out there. Can check in on your favorite games and events, including the baseball playoffs, start of the hockey season, MMA, boxing, and golf, plus sports podcasts. So head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more at BetOnline, where the game starts.